Let's get it. June 5th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone is having a good time outside of podcast land. Uh, I know I am. I am not in my in-laws basement this week. I am house sitting this week. So got a huge big old house to myself. I'm feeding some dogs. Life's good. Um, I am excited for this weekend. I'll be leaving this house and I'll be going to the World War II days at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, a colleague and myself are going to be going out and covering the event. We'll be bringing to you Instagram stories, some video content, and hopefully get some uh, good interviews from World War II survivors for the podcast. Last week, we had the Facebook Live about the Mission Act. Um, there was lots of participation. Thank you for that. Um if anybody doesn't know, that it's a Facebook Live that's currently on the VA's Facebook page. We had some subject matter experts from uh, the Veterans Health Administration interface with uh, some some VSO representation from the American Legion, the Wounded Warrior Project, and AMVETS. And we welcomed uh, any responses to the video. We got over a thousand responses. That was really great. And our digital outreach team is currently going through comment by comment. And they were doing it during the during the Facebook Live. I was doing audio and I was watching them work their tails off. They're going through comment by comment and they're getting together with uh, subject matter experts and whatever the question is and they're responding to them. So uh thank you for your engagement and we look forward to answering all those questions there are more blogs on blogs.va.gov about the mission act uh focuses on eligibility uh the services that are covered uh details on co-payments and prescription medicine uh one of the new benefits uh, if you're eligible for the mission act is that the va will now pay for local urgent care if uh, your urgent care provider is in the va contract and network of community providers and if the service is not excluded under the benefit, uh, most urgent care is cold, bumps, bruises, etc. Um, I'm sure there are some exceptions, but you have to read the, the blog and, and really dig into it. So uh, they're out there. They're on blogs.va.gov. Uh, they're in the main carousel. They're, they're, if you put Mission Act in the search, uh, you'll find them. It's a brand new blogs about the Mission Act. No reviews this week. A little surprising. No ratings or reviews this week, so you know what that means. We are still holding at 74, well, 73 uh, total ratings and reviews. I miscounted last week. But I said if we get one more, I'll send out a snippet of the bonus episode, uh, and I'll hold myself to that word. So, again, just need one more rating, one more review. Help me help you, uh, not only in the bonus episode, but also letting me know how I'm doing as your host for your podcast. One quick news release this week. Uh, the White House VA hotline surpassed 250,000 calls from the veteran community. It says, for immediate release, uh, pledged by our President Donald J. Trump as part of his administration's commitment to reforming the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, as of May 14th, the White House VA hotline has answered more than 250,000 calls since it went live on June 1st, 2017. The hotline, one 948 2311 serves veterans, their families, caregivers, and survivors by giving them a direct non-emergency contact available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, with agents, majority of whom are veterans or from a veteran family, who are trained to address general and common VA inquiries. And you have a uh, quote that's uh, from our secretary, Robert Wilkie, talking about how the hotline is the VA's front door for questions and concerns. 
While veterans are encouraged to use existing VA contact centers, the hotline offers an alternative, always the right number approach, transferring calls when needed to VA subject matter experts, such as the Veterans Crisis Line. The hotline serves as the VA's front door to listen to veterans' experiences, identify trends in veteran feedback, and resolve veterans' health, benefits, and services concerns anywhere in the department. There's more, but I can tell you this. That is exactly what the White House VA hotline is. It's the VA's front door. So you call the line. Whatever it may be, you can always call that hotline. And their job is to get you to the right person to help you with your your inquiry. Um, just keep calling that hotline. Keep that call center hopping. Keep those people employed. And, uh, and hopefully, it can help you out. So, today's interview was with a Green Beret. He was a combat medic attached to a might force in Vietnam that conducted operations all throughout the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And after a full career in banking and real estate and finance. At 55 years old, he became a private security contractor in Iraq and Afghanistan. Personally, he's also a fellow Arizona State University alum, and he helped build the veteran-friendly GI Bill model at that university that I enjoyed when I attended. He is Army veteran David Lucier. Enjoy. I was able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans, and the VA serves as that catalyst for all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. You know, David, as soon as I heard that you were from Arizona State University and that you were a graduate from Arizona State, I knew I was like, well, I'm, that's, I'm definitely going to go interview him. <laughs> ASU, go Devils. It's a, it's a great institution. Uh, in fact, they've been very, very helpful uh, and, uh, in fact, innovative in, in uh, establishing themselves as probably the most veteran-supportive uh, uh, university in the nation. I'm proud to be associated with them. So, uh, what made or compelled you to join the service to begin with? Well, you know, um, let's look back at the time and the place. Uh, let me start with my parents and my grandparents. My grandfather was a World War I uh, U.S. Army infantry captain. Uh, and and uh, World, War I. World War I, he served in, uh, served in France. Uh, my father served in World War II, was a naval officer, a lieutenant commander, uh, and he spent a couple of years on a uh, destroyer in the South Pacific during the during the uh, the Wonder Years. So, um, uh, and my mom was a women's air service pilot uh, uh, in World War II. So it was in it was in the whole family, uh, pretty much so. And so uh, I was born and raised Catholic. It was a Catholic family. Uh, lots of siblings. Got ten siblings. Uh, you know, it, oh, wow. the, uh, you know, uh, I'm beginning to kind of come of age and figure out what I'm able to discern and pick things up. Uh, I listened to John Kennedy, who said, you know, uh, uh, serve your country, uh, not yourself. So um, went to, in fact, we all went to uh, Catholic schools all the way through uh, K through 12. And then... Um, then I joined the Army in uh, uh, February of 67, 
with the intent of uh, trying to work my way into special forces. So at the time, they didn't have a, a program for that. And uh, you just had to, uh, uh, you had to uh, volunteer for airborne infantry. And then if you pass certain tests and uh, they interviewed you and you thought maybe they thought maybe you might, uh, might make a contribution, then you were, uh, you know, sent to Fort Bragg. So, um, okay. Was, so you didn't, so you were not drafted going into Vietnam. You no, but the, raised your but hand. The draft was in full swing. And so, yeah, the reality is, is that, um, had I not enlisted, uh, I would have been, yeah. would have been, would have been drafted. So, but one of the things I wanted to make sure is that, uh, I, I had some control over my destiny and, uh, choose your own. Yeah. Destiny. And as it yeah. turns out, um, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was fortunate, uh, m- you know, m- made all the right decisions, uh, passed all the right tests, uh, passed all the background stuff. And, uh, so in, uh, I think it was the, f- uh, late summer, early fall of, uh, uh, 1967, um, I went to uh, Fort Bragg and, uh, started my, uh, started my special forces training. So how did you get into special forces from boot camp? Like that that's always a good I think. Sure. Well, the, the uh, first of all the, the the process has changed dramatically from when I was there to where uh, to where it is now. Um briefly right now you can go to a recruiter and say I want to enlist for special forces and there's a what they call the uh, 18 X-ray program and and so uh, you go through boot camp, uh, you go through uh, AIT, advanced uh, training, you go to jump school, and then uh, you go to uh, special forces, or you, you actually go to, uh, you qualify for their selection program. And should you be so fortunate to get through that, and you're selected, then you go through the through, through training. Uh, there was none of that basically in uh um, uh, back then, uh, they had a, a recruiter, uh, stationed at, uh, Fort Benning, uh, at the jump school. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, at the end of, end of training day, one day they said, uh, you know, anybody who's, who's, uh, uh, interested in this, um, you know, go see, you know, Sergeant Joe Schmo at, uh, uh, 1830 hours, you know, building blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so I went and, uh, they had a sign up sheet. And so I signed up and, and they said, well, you know, we, we, we don't just uh, take your word for it. Uh, and they hand you that we went through, did a battery of tests, um, you know, mental tests uh, or intellectual tests at the end of jump school. Um, uh, we, we, we were told to report that some of us were told to report to, you know, again, a certain building and, uh, mine, you know, mine, my name was on the list. I went over to the building. They said, listen, you, you, uh, qualify, um, you know, mentally. And, uh, we, we know now that you're not a criminal. And so, uh, based on our test, we'd like you to, uh, consider, uh, uh, trying out for special forces. And going to Fort Bragg, and I said, "Yeah, that's." A, and I said, "Yeah, you know, this is what I signed up for." So um, I was, uh, I was fortunate that uh, you know I was kind of seeing my dream come true. Real quick, before we get too deep into it, what was really known about special forces before you even came in? Because you, you talked about that was your goal, but it was kind of early on in, in their evolution. 
Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, the uh, uh, special forces wasn't even created in, uh, in, in the army till 1952. So this is, you know, 15 years later, which in the okay. scheme of things is pretty early. Uh, and, and you're right. Not very many people knew about it. Uh, and then in uh, 1963, what kind of gave him a little boost there was John Kennedy present or authorized the wearing of the Green Beret as a, uh, uh-huh. a way to delineate, uh, you know, who is special forces and who is not. So I went to an ROTC uh, uh, high school. And so, you know, there was some of that orientation. But um, lo and behold, uh, there were several uh, front page cover stories about special forces, uh, on, uh, uh, in, in life magazine. And, uh, and so I looked at it and kind of, I read it, you know, with, with, uh, uh, real interest in all that. And then, and then, okay. uh, uh, then I, uh, did a little research, uh, uh, wrote, uh, wrote away and got some literature. And one of the pieces of literature was a magazine with, with an A team, uh, you know, on the cover. And of course, these guys, they're all poster boys for special forces. And, and this uh, is before the show, the A-Team. Oh, yeah. This way, is, way, like, way yeah. before the A-Team. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I read through it and I thought, you know, uh, and, and read those those uh, stories in Life magazine about these guys. And they look, you know, I mean, again, they, they, they were, uh, you know, they were wearing cool guns and, you know, leading, you know, uh, exotic looking people and, 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 uh, you know, I just, you know, my, my first thought was, you know, I can do that. And so, yeah. um, that was kind of my, my, uh, uh, pivotal transition or my epiphany. And so I followed it up after high school, uh, knowing that I may not, you know, I may be joining the army. I may, may not get a shot at special forces, but as it turns out, I did. And, um, uh, I, I finished, I was successful in the training and um, uh, went to Vietnam, uh, spent a year, you know, combat year there. And uh, that was that was uh, my road to special forces and, and uh, my Vietnam tour. So you operated along the, the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, what year were you, were you there? 1968 and 1969. And right and there in the thick. Of it. Yeah, it was. Uh, and and. Uh, uh, we not only operated near the Ho Chi Minh Trail, we operated uh, on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. <laughs> and, and so my, uh, uh, when I got to Vietnam, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so I asked my, uh, uh, the, the, the fellow that I was working for at the time, uh, and, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, where, where do we get into the war here? You know, and I was all, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old. I'm bulletproof. Gung-ho. Yeah. Ready to go. I'd had all this training and now, you know, it was time to put that training to good use. And so, um, he said, uh, well, you know, if you really want to do something, I, he said, uh, the Mike force is the, is the place to go. And I go, well, that sounds like that's, you know, for me. And then I had to back up and ask what the Mike force was, but it sounded, it sounded <laughs> good, you know, Mike force. So that's, yeah. it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of an acronym for uh, the Mobile Strike Force. And these were, these were, uh, gotcha. this, this was an operation uh, that was uh, specifically run by uh, particular people in special forces. 
And um, the the only way you could get into it is if you had a, a, a previous combat tour. That was the minimum requirement for for who was who was selected. Oh wow! Except if you were a special forces medic, which I was, and since they were in such dire need of uh, and short, there was a shortage of them. Uh, I was I was uh, I got on a team. And so what we did is we recruited, we supplied, we trained, and we led. Uh, we had only two Americans with each company. We led uh, uh, basically, you know, your basic mercenaries uh, against the uh, Ho Chi Minh. But these were mostly Montagnard tribal people, an ethnic group in, in Vietnam. Mm. And um, uh, we divided up our companies by tribe. Uh, the tribe I worked with was uh, made up of all Sedang uh, and uh, uh, the other two companies in the battalion uh, were of uh, different tribal origins. So, Interesting. you know, it, it uh, so we ran we ran those uh, operations uh, against the North Vietnamese Army, uh, engaged them and uh, tried to interdict them, mitigate their their impact, obviously, uh, as they were bringing arms and men and materials into the country sure. to pursue the war. And we were there to, to block that. So uh, we got on pretty, we got on pretty good terms with the, uh, uh, the NVA. They knew who we were. We knew who they were. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't unusual that we would uh, shout uh, uh, insults uh, back and forth at, at certain times. <laughs> So these mobile strike forces were were these precursors to uh, Green Berets, Delta, and Rangers? We to look to their lineage. Who would more likely to po- point to these mobile? Well, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, probably Delta. Uh, there was, uh, I mean, we did a lot of direct action, but you know, we were we were uh, uh, an army, you know, that was more conventional once we once we. Uh, uh, put them together. Uh, most of the people, most of the Green Berets who were assigned to this particular unit were, they were, they were action figures. Uh, and, 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 you know, our job was to uh, engage the enemy and, and generally we didn't have to look for them. You know, one of the, one of the things we did too is uh, either retake or help defend some of the A camps that were along the border uh, against uh, uh, attack. And, and in fact, some of them had been overrun, and we had to retake them. And um, sure. uh, you know that was that was sure. that was our life. And and so um, you know when you when you came to the Mike Force, and um, uh, you know you you were you were assured of. Um, you know, a lot of work. There was no shortage of work. I'm sure. Uh, David, who is your greatest mentor or best friend while you're in? You know, my mentor, I had a couple of them that were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and they were both team members. I was the youngest uh, member of the team. I was an E5. So I was a junior NCO amongst uh, uh, all seniors, all senior NCOs and officers. And um, so our team leader, a fellow by the name of Captain Lawrence Kerr, uh, who just had a wicked great sense of humor, but he was he was uh, uh, very, very uh, protective of the team. And uh, I think me in particular, because I was just, you know, young and dumb and, you know, everybody just sort of shake their head and, you know, trying to wonder why uh, these folks are, you know, why I'm here and how I got there. <laughs> and, 
but they, they, they were, they were, they were great. Uh, yeah. And uh, there were several instances of him helping me along. And then our team sergeant, uh, fellow by the, by the name of Bob Mulcahy, who, who, uh, was literally a special forces legend, um, and, and had been in country. In fact, he had, he had, uh, he had been uh, participated in an operation called white star. So in 1962, uh, he was working basically for the CIA, uh, um, putting together, uh, Hmong, wow. uh, tribal peoples, uh, to, uh, fight, uh, uh, fight the North Vietnamese in Laos in 62. So it's easy, it's, it's, it's easy to say you learned a lot from Oh, him. uh, hugely. And then the other American that I worked with in the field, um, uh, who had had several combat tours, uh, just really, I mean, he was a soldier soldier and, um, uh, he, he had, uh, unfortunately later on had uh, been wounded and blinded. Uh, but he did, uh, oh, wow. uh and, and, uh, I took, uh, his partner's place uh, who had been killed in action, uh, just, uh, a, a couple of weeks before. So, uh, but, uh, he was a soldier, soldier and, uh, um, well, there was there was just no substitute for uh, somebody who really knew uh, land nav, uh, who knew uh, small unit tactics, company size tactics, uh, who knew um, uh, close air support, uh, who knew uh, how to shoot uh, artillery, and he he taught me. I mean, I, I was trained on that stuff, but you know, it's one thing to be in training; it's another thing to be in you know in actual combat, having to. Uh, bring in close air support, uh, uh, danger close. In fact, we never called anything that wasn't danger close because these these folks that we uh, we engaged, uh, <laughs> it was safer for them to grab us by the belt buckle and just pull us in. So um, it was it was yeah. always close, um, and, and and so I learned those things, and they let me learn, and and uh, had the patience, and 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 I have to say, I mean, I was I was a pretty quick study, so. That was good. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, we took our losses and, um, uh, you know, cause you can't be doing this kind of work without, without those kinds of losses. And, uh, um, we, we all, and his name uh, again was? it was Charlie Carpenter. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Charlie Carpenter. <laughs> Charlie Shillelagh. Charlie Carpenter had, no, had been fine. killed, and that's whose whose place I took. And uh, Charlie Charlie uh, Shillelagh is is the one I worked with, and uh, he since he's he's deceased now, uh, but uh, uh, he, he was he was a soldier soldier uh, from the, from from the get. So you were in Vietnam for a uh, a year, and you left. Uh, you left active duty in 69 or you, did you just leave the special force? Yeah. Property? Yeah. At the, uh, at the end of my uh, tour, I had, uh, I think less than 90 days left on my contract. And, and the rule was at the time, they, you know, based on where you were in the, in your contract and in the war. And so I, I had fewer than 90 days at the time. The rule was if you had less than 90 days, uh, they just kick you loose. When I got back, uh, they gave me a, a, Class A uniform. Uh, uh, we squared up on money because uh, generally coming back at that time they, they quit paying you. Oh, you know, a lot of weeks in front of your 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 transfer date. Oh, so wow. um, I uh, I'd accumulated. I took no R and R, so I had R and I had thirty days of 
you know, free money coming to me plus what they owed me for, you know, just the standard stuff. So I had a pocket full of money, a brand new uniform and was out of the army. And so uh, my biggest question at the time was, you know, do I take a, do I wait for that bus over there for the $5 bus ride all the way to Seattle or do I pay $30 for a cab ride, uh, cab ride in? So I, Looked at, uh, you know, looked at the cab, looked at the bus, uh, uh, pulled a wad of money out of my pocket and said, I'm a taxi, taxi guy today. So <laughs> spent a little extra money and, and headed for Seattle. And that was, uh, that's so how I say, you got the out, you got out, you got out in Fort Lewis. Yes, I did. Yeah, sure did. Okay. I, I'm from, I'm from that area. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I'm We're familiar about. with that. Uh, Grays Harbor, uh, two hours west of Seattle. If you can imagine anything west of Seattle on the oh, peninsula yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful, yeah. Be- beautiful, beautiful area. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, been up there several times. So, um, so you went to Seattle. Uh, what was the transition like for service members in 1969? Well, um, it was pretty much. Um, uh, here's what we owe you. Uh, here's a clean uniform. Uh, thanks for your service and, uh, have a good life. And, and that, <laughs> no, that tabs, was, no, trend, no, 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 how to learn how to write a resume or oh, no, nothing, no, <laughs> no. Um, you know, they were done with you. I mean, DOD was done with you and, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you, you I mean, I, I, like I, I've always said, you know, there, there's really, only two things that DOD is concerned with, and that's uh, a higher uh, a higher rate of, uh, of uh, lethality and a higher rate yep. of survivability. Those two things. Yep. And so uh, I was done with the, the lethal portion. I'd obviously survived, so my use to the DOD was was over. Yeah. What was it like with employers uh, coming out of the service, going into like an employer? Was there any kind of uh, uh, you know, pushback where, were they welcoming? What was it like? Uh, no, it wasn't welcoming. And in fact, it was something that you generally, um, didn't bring up. If you, you know, if, if somebody asks you about, um, you know, uh, you know, service of any kind, you just said, yeah, I was in the army and uh, now I'm out. And, you know, to discourage any conversation, about your time in service and particularly uh, anything having to do with Vietnam. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you got out in 69, but you grad and you graduated from our alma mater, Arizona state university Go devil. in 70 70- or <laughs> Forkham. Forkham. Uh, so what was your degree in political science? Why? Well, you know, I'd, I'd experienced this thing in, uh, about Vietnam. I'd experienced, uh, you know, uh, th- there was a lot of things going on at the time, uh, you know, the end of the 60s, uh, the early 70s, uh, a lot of protests. There was a lot of accusations flying around about how the government was lying, uh, uh, how they really weren't taking care of veterans. Uh, I mean, it just sure. went on. It was, and it was a hostile environment. And, and so I thought, well, you know, one of the things I want to do is, 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 uh, get a little better, better handle on, uh, uh, what is this thing all about? And, and, uh, how did, uh, you know, uh, is the government really lying to us? 
And, and, you know, even at that point, I got to tell you, you know, for, uh, until 1972. So I'd been back from Vietnam for two years, um, almost three, and I had never voted. I had never, I was never eligible to vote. And so my first election experience was 1972. Um, and again, it was, uh, several years after returning from Vietnam, that I had and and over ten years after the speech that you heard from John yeah, F. Kennedy, yeah, and uh, and so you know this this was uh, all new territory. So I thought, you know, I, I really would like to learn about this and uh, try to figure it all out. And so I thought, and I, it was it was just something that interested me. And you know, was kind of, and then of course after graduation, uh, what did I do? I I got a job as a a, a finance guy doing telecommunication finance, which. I end up doing for, you know, probably 15 years. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere, nowhere near, near politics. politics, but I always kind of stayed, you know, I'm always interested in reading the paper and watching the news on TV and sure, uh, sure. doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, um, so it was, and I'm, I'm assuming, and I'm assuming you used your GI bill. I during did. That time. And I was fortunate that I used my GI bill. Uh, I gotten married shortly after coming back to, and before starting school, uh, I had a wife that was working. She had a nice little job at the state bar, uh, and and uh, nice. I was I had a scholarship. So um, between the two of us and scholarship and GI Bill and all that kind of stuff, I mean, uh, uh, we were able to afford our first house, um, you know, just just north of the campus, and uh, you know, we bought a house oh, wow. on the GI Bill and uh, paid uh, uh, paid my. Uh, uh, Paid my rent. Oh, you did the VA home loan. You did the VA home loan at the same time. So you, did, yeah. you were able to use your GI bill, yeah. use the VA home loan. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, uh, and, and, you know, that was again before we had, uh, you know, uh, GI bill uh, or, you know, uh, veteran counselors on campus and, you know, um, that uh, accounts payable was, uh, uh, was, uh, well, at ASU, for instance. I mean, you know, sometimes the GI Bill could get screwed up and they wouldn't pay. And, and uh, you know, yeah. kids were getting notices that they were being thrown out of school for non-payment. And so, at one, in fact, one of the one of the things at ASU that uh, worked out with Dr. Crow is uh, somebody's got to get with these po- these folks, um, uh, flag these kids as veterans so that if something goes wrong and they don't get paid, they don't get kicked out of school. They get referred to the uh, certification yeah. officer to, to straighten it out and find out what's, you know, what, what's going on. So uh, there, yeah, sure. So that, that was, that was, uh, that was a big, a big element, a, a big feature when uh, we um, put together the, the veteran success model at ASU. So, but I was on the GI bill and, and, uh, uh, was successful again. I, I graduated with honors, and and uh, then uh, away I went, and I was off uh, off doing. And I got a job as a, uh, a financial analyst uh, for a telecommunications company, and so I stuck with them for oh gosh, over fifteen years. Uh, and then I went into uh, did oh, wow. some banking because I was an assistant treasurer, and you know did a lot of cash management and bank relations and all that kind of business, and. Uh, did our short and our long-term uh, financing for the subsidiaries that uh, that we had in the eastern third of the United States, and so uh, we were able to 
do that, and uh, banks like to hire out of out of out of those the you know in those situations. So I went to work for a bank, and uh, then I left and uh, started doing some things on my own. Uh, by this time, uh, I'd been living in San Francisco for about 15 years, and then I decided I would oh, pull wow. up stakes and come back to Tempe, where most of my siblings live. And uh, so I came back here uh, in '95. So that's been '95, uh, 20, almost 25 years. In the meantime, I, I uh, spent a couple of years in Iraq with a, a private security. Uh, contract. Yeah. So eventually you became a, you, so eventually you became a contractor in Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. from 03 to 05. And then once again in 2008, uh, what was it like going back to the DOD after almost 30 years? And, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, some things change and some things never change. And, and some of the language I had to kind of, <laughs> kind of relearn, uh, you know, I, I, I never knew of this thing called HUA. You know, warfighter. I'm sure you heard. I'm sure yeah, you heard a lot of warfighter and HUA and <laughs> in the contract and, uh, world. Uh, you know, a lot of different acronyms that I, you know, kind of had to pull somebody aside so I didn't embarrass myself. Uh, you know, what does that mean? What is that? And <laughs> and uh, and of course, then the, the the equipment. I mean, you know, I, I've been used to. I, fortunately, when I was in Vietnam, I used what what was called then an XM17, which was a precursor to the M4, and. Um, and so when we, 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 we were issued yeah. M16s, which were uh, rattle traps, uh, so most of us uh, uh, bought our own uppers and tricked <laughs> them all out, and, um, which to sure. me, you know, it's because I'm, I'm, you know, at that time I was 55 years old, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I can't see quite as far as I used to, but, and, uh, but you know, with these new heads-up sights and everything, I could, I could, I could, you know, shoot the, the eye out of a bird at 200 meters. So, um, it was, I thought, man, this is pretty <laughs> cool. So there was, you know, there was some readjustment for, yeah. uh, you know, some of the, some of the uh, equipment, but, you know, again, you know, a sort of a fast learner and into it. And so I picked it up pretty, pretty darn quickly. And, um, and, and then we practiced a lot of the live fire. If we weren't working, uh, we were on the range and going through exercises and, you know, immediate action drills and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and, uh, practicing with, with live fire. So, um, in fact, you know, just from that standpoint, I was probably as good as I ever was, um, uh, at that time, uh, in Iraq. Gotcha. So what, what did you, what did you do as a contractor? We were, we, our mission was to protect and defend, um, uh, Americans and American, uh, assets. And specifically we worked for the Corps of Engineers in their, um, uh, disposing of all the old ordinance. So yeah. you were actually doing yeah. security? Oh yeah, at fifty-five years old. No, oh, we that's were, we amazing. Were cool. We had you know that's, cool that's looking motivating. equipment and cool looking guns, and we worked with you know I worked with a lot of folks yeah. who had a lot of combat time, a lot of trigger time, and so um, we were we were in fact our our team leader at the time was a uh, um, uh, former uh, Delta Force kind of guy, and um, uh, we, we 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 did well. We never we didn't lose one American that we were in charge of, you know, protecting. We never lost uh, we never lost any material that we were that uh, was under our charge. So um, and and we did a lot of mobile uh, security yeah. work. We did some personal security work uh, along with the you know securing again these these uh, um, 
uh, operations that were that were disposing of uh, all this all this uh, uh, extraordinary amounts of ordnance. Yeah, so I, I think it's amazing yeah. that uh, you know almost uh, thirty years later. You, you went for you left after duty you became got into real estate and telecoms and banking and then you came back into the yeah. uh defense contracting as far as yeah. security work so uh, you know 74 to 03 is a or 69 to 03 is a big jump to get back into working for the DOD. <laughs> it is um, but you know it's like riding a bicycle though for me it was it, you, know, yeah. you know i had i had a i had a little uh, uh training up period i had to you know regain my balance and uh, all the things that you do to you know, get back on that bicycle. Uh, sure, but, uh, sure. You know, it was uh, a, a fairly easy transition. Perspective at, uh, you know, like say at 55 years old is wholly different than your perspective when you're 21 years old. Um, oh, sure. I can imagine. It's just, uh, just way, way different. In fact, uh, a quick comment on that one. When I was in uh, Afghanistan and I was uh, uh, working with some of the teams around all around the country and at this one, um, in fact, it was the first one I went out to and this young captain, you know, of course he, yeah, all these special forces captains, they all look like captains of the football team, you know? Yeah. Captain uh, America's. Yeah, exactly. Bunch of captain America's. And so he's, 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 uh, there introducing me to the team and he goes, well, you know, this is Mr. Lucier. And, and, uh, by the way, he was on a, he was on an A team too, just to let you know. And then he kind of looks around he goes, but you know what? That was all before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know exactly how to take that, but um, you know, keep, keeping up with uh, keeping up with the mid twenties to mid thirties, you know, kind of guys who are at the top of their game and all that, you know. Yeah. And, and at that time, I was sixty years old. So, um, you know, this wow. was uh, a couple of years later. So. Um, it's, it's, it was pretty fascinating. And, and, uh, how did you get back into that line of work? You know, like, it was, was it through association? Association pure, uh, you know, I was, uh, um, reading a book on the back porch, phone rings and said, a guy, you know, old buddy of mine says, what are you doing? I said, yeah, you know, just kind of taking life easy right now. And he goes, well, Hey, so this is, I got, uh, I got a line on some work. And uh, would you be interested? And I said, well, you know, what, where and how much? And uh, he, he says, well, it's, it's a rack. And I went, holy, <laughs> holy cow. That was a, the furthest thing from my mind. I said, well, you know, when do we have to be there? And he says, we've got to be there in two weeks. And I thought, oh, my God. So um, that's not even enough time to hit the treadmill yeah, a little bit. You know? said, yeah, sure. I'll be there. <laughs> So, uh, that wow. was, uh, um, that's how that came about. And then, then, uh, my work in Afghanistan came through some of the contacts I'd made while working in Iraq. So, um, Naturally. you know, and so I came home from that and I thought, you know, I'll be, uh, 61 shortly. And, uh, do I really want to keep doing this? And, um, I think I, you know, I just, I, I kind of said to myself, I think I'm done. Um, and so yeah. then, of course, the question was, well, what next? And, and uh, I, I really didn't have a clue. So I, I began to hear about this thing called, you know, transition and, and uh, going from, you know, military to civilian. And while this wasn't exactly like that, it was a lot like it. So it's almost like you had to uh, almost go through that transition all over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. The common theme seemed to be reach out to people. 
Uh, and so, you know, whether it's a, a job or, or just reconnecting, the first step is just reach out to people. And I, so I did. And so I uh, made a concerted effort to um, uh, talk to, uh, you know, my, my, my uh, social network, if you will, and let people know I was, you know, kind of looking for something else to do. And um, yeah. it just so happened that the mayor of our fine town, I was talking with him, he says, you know, uh, uh, we've been thinking about uh, putting together a veterans memorial. You want to you want to do that? And I said, sure. So um, I did that. And, and by doing that, uh, I started connecting with, uh, you know, uh, uh, veterans in the community and beyond our community. And um, uh, at the time, we, we, we just got a brand new uh, director of the state uh, uh, veterans services who was exactly my age. Uh, been to Vietnam exactly about the time I was, um, you know, we, we were all airborne qualified. We, you know, talked about some of our experiences, hit it off. And so um, uh, he, he helped me uh, expand my horizon, if you will, expand my reach into the veterans community uh, in Arizona. And so, you know, one thing led to another, to another, to another. And, um, uh, you know, here it is a decade later. Uh, and um, uh, there's a lot of folks that uh, I've come across um, in the veterans community and also politically, because a lot of what we're, we, we do and try to do is, is uh, legislative. And so, yeah. um, so that's the. Uh, Got to pass some laws to help some veterans. Sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they're the only ones that can do it. I mean, we can't we can't just arbitrarily say, hey, everybody's got to start doing this. And uh, uh, yeah. my model was um, uh, kind of a, um, you know, if you kind of looked at three interconnected circles, one being education, one being jobs, one being wellness. Uh, and if you've got all three of those going for you, you're going to be successful no matter what you do. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're, you know, a welder or an accountant. Um, you, you're, you know, you're going to be doing what you do. Uh, you, you have to be educated and trained, uh, and, and, uh, that'll help again, uh, um, you know, bring about a good sense of wellness. And if anything does go wrong, you're prepared to, to, uh, be able to address it. But like I say, those, uh, with those in mind, uh, there's a lot of different things that we can do. So education is a, is a great example. We work with the legislature so that uh, early on, now this is federal law. You're talking about the st- uh, at, the, at the state at level, the, level at, or at, at the, the federal state level. level? And we passed this in-state tuition bill for veterans at about the same time we were uh, working with Dr. Crow on building a, a veteran success model at ASU. So – the net, re- the net result is gotcha. uh, when we started that and ASU had under a thousand veterans at their school today, they've got uh, about 10,000. Oh, they're, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're yeah, one of the largest ones in the country now, uh, especially with their, I, I, yes, I yes. graduated through their I online think, program. Uh, of the 10,000, I think about 3,000 are online, uh, online veterans. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we see that all the time and, yep. and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a it's just, a they now have, you know, I think the, the, the most veteran supportive university in the country. So I'm very proud of that. Why was your focus in education? After, well, after uh, it's, it's, okay. it's kind of, kind of strange, but, um, <laughs> it, 
It had to do with the uh, uh, state director who had just taken over the Department of Veteran Services. And uh, we sat down with a group of veterans and uh, he said, you know, I'm new to this. And what are you guys thinking? And and I said, well, I think that there's, you know, three focuses that um, I said, education, jobs and wellness. And uh, he agreed. He said, you know, education's, you know, hugely important. What what, what do you want to do? What do you think? And uh, I said, well, I, I said, you know, we, we build a model. And I said, I, I went to ASU. I've got a few connects there. And, and uh, we'll, we'll, why don't we start there? And uh, he said, that'd be great. And so um, that's kind of where I started with uh, and, and, uh, and he helped fund that. Uh, he helped, uh, uh, you know, throw a couple of bucks in it. So we weren't all starving to death and um, great. went to uh um, we got a hold of Dr. Crow and um, said, you know, I'd like to sit down and talk with you if you could. And he goes, call my office. I mean, I was stunned. <laughs> <laughs> I was stunned. That's I didn't great. know whether he was just trying to blow me off or. or and Dr. Or Crow is the um, president of uh, ASU. And he's the one who is uh, converted, uh, uh, you know, transitioned ASU to the, uh, the most innovative university in, 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 in the country. So, um, gotcha. there he was, you know, the man himself. And so when I said, <laughs> I'd like to come and talk to you and he goes, call my office. And he said it so quickly and just sort of, you know, and so I was really taken aback. Well, I was polite and I said, well, I will, I'll do that. Thank you. And then I went on my way. Yeah. And a couple of days later I called the office and, uh, they said, uh, well, you know, whatever day it was, you know, can you be here uh, Tuesday at 830? And I said, yes. <laughs> so I went in with a, a list of about, oh, I don't know, I think maybe 15 uh, elements that I, you know, uh, a one stop shop for, for veterans, uh, getting this pay, uh, the uh, accounts payable straightened out, making sure that veterans got uh, priority and, uh, and registration so that, you know, because you're on the GI Bill, you're on a you're on a time track and uh, it's a weird time. Yeah. It's a weird time window. Sometimes. It is. And yeah, so we want yeah. to make sure that uh, there was nothing that was going to impede that interrupt it. Uh, Cause it had, and, and, you know, there, so there were all those kinds of things. He had all of those things done well, in I've, four months. Well, I've got to say as a, as almost a recipient of your model, uh, it was almost flawless when I first got out of the Marine Corps in 2015. Wow. Uh, I, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of credits from Syracuse, yeah, uh, yeah. and the Cron- the Cronkite school of journalism and, and how everything was so integrated and how myself transferred. So almost seamlessly. Yeah. And I started classes almost seamlessly. So, uh, I want to let you know as a recipient of that program, of that model, uh, it, for me as a, as a remote student that went to Arizona state university, it worked, it worked flawlessly. Well, thanks. And it was almost pain. It was almost painless. Wow. Uh, as my experience was almost painless. That's fantastic. That's, that is always so good to hear. And I'll tell you what it, uh, um, as I say, it, it makes my heart sing when, when I hear that, um, cause that's the, you know, the, the impact that, uh, you know, that, that education has on, on people and, and being able to have access and having that educational opportunity is, is so hugely important. I was able to focus just on the education aspect, all the paperwork, all the, all the, all the minutia, yeah. uh, that, you know, through the VA, through the education system, I didn't have to worry yeah. about any of that. All I had to worry about what was, 
going to school, doing a good job, and then going to work. I was able to go to night school at Arizona State at the same time, holding time, down a full time job at, wow, at NASCAR. That's just fantastic. Uh, it really is. It's just so. Well, that's that's uh, what we're trying to do. Is and and uh, uh, I'm I'm just really really happy to hear that uh, that was your experience. In fact, I will I will pass I will pass that along to uh, Doctor Crow next time I see him. That's great. So, what are some veteran initiatives that you are currently working on? Well, the the the, the big uh, I guess physical item right now is um, uh, creating a, a, a Fisher House. Phoenix doesn't have a Fisher House, which is a kind of like the Ronald McDonald House for veterans. It's uh, it's it's free sure. to uh, veterans and their families. Uh, you know, a place to stay uh, while uh, while the uh, um, you know the veterans being treated. Gotcha. Who's buying the land? Who's, well, who's that's going to come that? from a couple of different sources. We, we, we'll get some grants as well as uh, we'll private fundraise uh, and and then acquire acquire the land. That's great. Once it's built um, and and everything, uh, the uh, the facility is then granted and uh, over to the uh, uh, transferred and gifted to the uh, to the VA, and then it becomes part of the VA um, operating environment oh yeah oh yeah i'm very aware about the fisher house if you look in our very 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 uh-huh. very very recent archive uh dave yeah. coker the president of the fisher house foundation was a very ah. recent guest on the show so if our listeners are so if our listeners are, are curious about the fisher house foundation and what they do oh, it's just amazing. They, do, they do some amazing things for for veterans and families, definitely they can look into the archives and uh, and take a look and, and listen to Dave's story. Uh, not only is he the president, he's also he was also the number the very very first employee, yeah. employee number one. Yeah. Um, also an army medic, also yeah. just like you, yeah. he was he was an army medic. Speaking about uh, mental health, uh, you were recently you recently took part in a VA campaign, yeah. uh, the Moment When yes, the campaign Moment that was campaign, in May, which is part of the. Uh, um, Make the connection. How did you get involved in that? Well, uh, uh, they they uh, uh, reached out to some of the uh, veteran organizations here in the in the in the valley. Uh, my name my name came up uh, as a uh, um, somebody who might be interested in in uh, talking with them, and so I um, uh, uh, did a uh, did an initial interview with them, and uh, 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 and then. They uh, asked me back again, so I did another. I did another clip with them, another video, and then um, do, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, they asked if I would come to um, Washington D.C. and do some interviews yeah. uh, there. And it was kind of like speed dating. I mean, you sit in a studio and <laughs> and you do uh, you do uh, uh, you know the three to five minute interviews for uh over a time span of about five hours yeah yeah and nascar the, and nascar and nascar they called that media days they would just put all the different media in different rooms and they would just shuffle the drivers from go. one room to the next room yep <laughs> yep yep and so that that's uh, so we we uh, uh so we did that um and and from that um uh we we did a lot of morning shows and, uh, uh radio shows and uh, newspaper interviews and you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, multimedia, um, it was a multimedia event. That's for sure. So what'd you guys talk um, about? Uh, well, we talked about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the moment when, and, 
and what it what it is and what it means and what it's a, you know what what uh, what some of its goals are. Yeah. And so um, it's the moment when you kind of realize that you needed help, uh, and then the moment when you uh, decided or, or felt that things were uh, things were uh, you know you, you, there was an impact on you, and uh, the moment when uh, you really felt. Uh, felt whole again uh, yeah. after, after, uh, you know, depending on what, what modality, uh, you went through, whether it was a kind of a group therapy or individual therapy or, or, um, you know, a number, uh, just a whole, you know, a plethora of, of modalities as far as, uh, you know, bringing around a, a better sense of wellness through, uh, better mental health. Yeah. So I, I cheated a little bit. The the Make the Connection folks sent me your video and you talked about your history and your relationship with PTSD. Yeah. Um, talk to us about your that moment when uh, how did you get a handle on it? Um, well, it was uh, uh, one of my siblings that kind of kept after me and and uh, uh, uh urged me and, and I finally did. I finally got the message. I'm a little, I'm a little slow sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> I finally got the message and, uh, sought help at the VA and, uh, went through that process, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, just, uh, kind before of, you went, you before you went and got help, how were you treating your PTSD? Oh, you know, self-medicating is the common term. Um, I, I would, uh, uh, you know, ignore, uh, Ignore the signs that, you know, uh, I was probably drinking a little too much. Uh, uh, I was, you know, I never uh, had a hard time establishing really a, a meaningful relationships with uh, with women. Uh, I had a hard time establishing a meaningful rela relationship with my with my uh, with my siblings. And um, uh, and so uh, it became evident that, you know, there was there was something something wrong going on here. And, uh, gotcha. so it, uh, uh, and that's when your sister stepped in. Yeah. And she said, you know, there's some things I've been noticing that, uh, you may want to consider. And I kind of blew it off and, um, but she was persistent. Thank God. Uh, she was persistent. And, um, I finally went to the VA, uh, talked to them, um, and, and, you know, about what my, I was experiencing and, um, that was, um, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was a time that was uh, pretty difficult for me, but, uh, thing, you know, uh, uh, you know, the moment when, uh, at least I, I sat myself in the chair and got talking with somebody, uh, who, who actually knew what they were talking about and I didn't. Um, and so, uh, uh, that went on for quite a period and, and, uh, until I found the moment when, uh, I felt a whole lot better and, um, started doing things, uh, differently. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it was that moment when it was, gosh, this feels a whole lot better than I used to feel. And, and so that was, yeah. uh, that was my moment when, so, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've kind of stayed with the, uh, uh, in contact with the folks that make the connection and, and, uh, uh talking with folks like you and, and, uh, just, uh, really, really, um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, 
the relationship I've been able to establish with, make the connection and, and talk about, uh, you know, how, how really important it is to uh, reach out, uh, uh, make that connection is, uh, you know, just to kind of use the term and, yeah. and uh, get those resources because they're out there. All you got to do is kind of step up. And uh, a lot of times that's the, that's one, you know, that first step is really, really difficult, but very, very worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which now you, you first stepped up in, in your own make the connection uh, about a couple decades ago, correct? No, they were talking a couple of years ago. <laughs> a couple of years ago. So you were, you were, you were self-medicating yeah. through your entire pretty, success- pretty successful. So you were kind I of was a, functional. A, that, you functional. Know, that, that, that's the other side of it. I mean, the fact <laughs> of the matter is I was functional. And, and uh, I mean, I wasn't a falling down drunk or anything. Right. I just probably drank more than I should have, uh, you know, on occasion. And, and, uh, yeah. and that was really a symptom. And, yep. uh, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, you, it was something that you was people were noticing. Yeah, were noticing yeah. That. I mean, people, people who were close to me noticed. Uh, other people, other people really didn't. Um, sure. And and sure. so uh, um, and and that's that's a lot of t- you know kind of depending on the situation. That's that's not unusual. Um, no, it's funny how that happens. Those closest to you yeah. can see things that yeah. Must yeah. Up, I go, you know, uh, you know maybe uh, maybe things. You know, maybe you want to consider X, Y, or Z. So I did. What what resource was the most beneficial one to you that the VA offered? Well, I, I think the uh, the uh, individual counseling. Um, mm-hmm. I got to ask my questions in private. You know, I felt uh, I felt secure. Uh, uh, I, I trusted them. They were uh, they were remarkably professional and remar- and at the same time remarkably personal. Okay, so. You you've had a pretty pretty interesting life and career. What is one thing you learned in service that you still apply today? Um, I think it. I learned leadership in the army, mm-hmm. and 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 I learned that leadership was based on trust. Yeah, and and I think uh, those two elements are are so important today. Uh, no matter what you do, it's applicable whether again, uh, you know, you're uh, uh, you're in the oil field, uh, or you're you're in the classroom, or you're uh, um, uh, in uh, uh, you know whatever trading, you're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever you're doing, uh, those are those are the things that uh, uh, you need. I think. To, to really succeed. Got you. Is there a nonprofit or person in the veteran community that you are looking at right now and going, dang, they're doing it right? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, one of them uh, and I'll, I'll go is, uh, uh, um, Barbara Hatch in the, uh, in the, uh, space, uh, she, she runs a nonprofit called veterans heritage project and, uh, she gets, uh, uh, young students, to interview veterans. Uh, they, uh, uh, write a story based on that interview. That story is, uh, uh, put in a, an annual and that, uh, annual book then goes to the uh, library of Congress for Very archiving. Cool. And, uh, we've got about 25 schools here in Arizona and, um, uh, uh, you know, always expanding. Um, and it's, a, it's a great program for both veterans and the students. David, is there anything that 
I haven't asked that you'd like to add that you think it's important to share to our listeners? Well, I think no matter what, it's important for uh, uh, people to reach out. If, if they're not feeling well, they don't, they don't think things are quite right. Uh, it's really, really important that they reach out uh, to, um, you know, someone, uh, whether it's a, a next door neighbor, a, a, a sibling, uh, a pastor, uh, a mentor, uh, but uh, reach out. And my second uh, second suggestion is, you know, if you're, you're, you're a veteran, uh, this this opportunity to uh, get well uh, comes from the VA and it's and it's free. And so I would uh, urge uh, urge you to to uh, to reach out to the VA. Uh, talk to those folks. Uh, they're very, very helpful. Uh, don't be afraid to say that, uh, you know, maybe this, this, uh, uh, this person wasn't working out for them uh, and you'd like to talk to somebody else. Uh, or maybe a, a group is a better setting for you, but uh, make that connection. Uh, do it. You'll be better off for it. Uh, and, and you'll have that, uh, uh, you'll have that aha moment um, and uh, uh, you'll be better off for it. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Thoroughly enjoyed that uh, conversation with David there. Um, always good to connect with an ASU alum, and he's done a lot of good things, and really want to thank him for his time. This week's Born the Battle of Veteran of the Week is Marine veteran William Tully Brown. William was born in October of 1922 in Black Mountain, Arizona. He enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1944, and he served in the Battle of Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima. He was one of several hundred Navajo code talkers to use the native language to outsmart the Japanese during World War II. The Navajo language had no written form, which made it hard to decipher. From 1942 to 1945, the Navajo Code was never broken by the enemy. In 1946, William was honorably discharged and went on to serve in the Telsani and Cottonwood community in Arizona. To recognize the service of these men, President Ronald Reagan in 1982 declared August 14th National Navajo Code Talker Day. Sadly, William passed away this last Monday in Winslow, Arizona at the age of 96. Today, there are only three living Code Talkers left. William is a recipient of the Congressional Silver Medal, the American Campaign Medal, the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal, the Navy Occupation Service Medal, the World War II Victory Medal, and the Honorable Service Lapel Button. We honor your service, William. That's it for this episode of Born the Battle. If you would like to provide some feedback, you can always email me at podcast at va.gov or you can reach out onto any one of my blogs at blogs.va.gov or you can follow us on the VA main social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and RallyPoint. 
U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, DEPT Vet Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.